This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. In our second segment today, we're going to go on the road here, as it were, and uh, take a visit across campus here at UC Davis to uh, speak with Charles W. Bamford about his new book, Beer is Proof God Loves Us, and to take a look at some of the facilities we have uh, to explore the science of brewing. And what more appropriate topic could we do for a college radio station, eh? In fact, it is our intention uh, later this year to do a follow-up on this segment today by visiting Chico, California, which, among other things, is renowned for its local beer brewing. And by the way, if you do drink beer, please do it in moderation. They're making a big stink currently about how uh, during picnic day at UC Davis, uh, well, there are going to be some steps taken to make sure there's no drunken rowdiness. Those like myself who fondly remember pioneer days up in Chico would like to see the uh, same thing not take place in Davis. That is to say, some over-rambunctious uh, uh, celebrators leading to a you know, quashing of some of the festivities. Let's begin this program as we like to do with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 17th of February. We remind you that February has two R's, both of which are pronounced. It was on February 17th in 1600 that the Italian philosopher, astronomer, and mathematician Giordano Bruno was burned at the stake in Rome for heresy after refusing to recant his theories of an infinite universe, which went beyond the accepted Copernican view of a finite universe centered around the sun. Remember, as a boy visiting Rome and seeing that exact spot, which is commemorated by some civic-minded people who want to remind uh, the church authorities of their bad behavior. As I recall, it was within sight of St. Peter's, but I could be wrong. On this date in 1772, Prussia, Austria, and Russia carve up Poland for the first of three times, virtually extinguishing it as a nation until its restoration after World War I and the Versailles Treaty. On February 17, 1801, Thomas Jefferson finally was elected the third president of the U.S. After a long fight, he had tied Aaron Burr in the Electoral College and finally won the necessary tie-breaking votes in the House through the intervention of some of his former political enemies, such as Alexander Hamilton. This uh, led to some bad blood between Burr and Hamilton, who in fact later shot and killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel. This bit of electoral stupidity came about because no one had, had thought to mention in the original uh, version of the Constitution that when you cast ballots for president and vice president, and Burr was running as Jefferson's vice president, you'd have to specify which votes were for which person and which office. So when Burr and Jefferson both wound up with 73 votes, Burr decided to start pulling wires to, uh, to get himself named president. He Luckily for the Republic, failed, because Aaron Burr, by all accounts, was pretty much a weasel. On February 17th in 1947, the Voice of America beamed its first radio broadcast into the Soviet Union as part of the U.S. propaganda campaign during the Cold War. 
The Voice of America is still going strong. Had a chance to get a tour of their facilities thanks to Benjamin Jonas when I was in Washington, D.C. Benjamin now runs the Persian Language Bureau of the VOA. That was quite interesting, and I remember uh, many of my travels with the shortwave radio dialing in the VOA and the BBC and Radio Netherlands and even Radio Moscow on occasion. And by God, we're going to have to bring Benjamin back on in this program to talk about what, uh, what the VOA continues to do. On this date in 1972, the Volkswagen Beetle surpassed the Ford Model T production record and became the most heavily produced car in history as the 15,734th Beetle rolled off the assembly line in Germany. On this same date in 1979, Chinese forces invaded Vietnam in response to the Vietnamese invasion of Cambodia in January. Nine days of bitter bitter fighting ensued, and the Chinese were forced to withdraw. Not only did the Chinese try and punish Vietnam for its invasion of Cambodia, the U.S. actually for a while supported the Pol Pot regime, arguably the worst government since Nazi Germany, because we were kind of ticked at the Vietnamese. I guess sometimes international politics is no different than what you find on the playground. Well, actually, a lot worse if you think about the fact that on the playground, you generally weren't launching cruise missiles. But your friend of mine reminded me the other day, it cost about $2 million a pop, and we've shot off something like a 1,000 of them in, uh, in Iraq to date. Pretty good business if you were a manufacturer of cruise missiles, wouldn't you say? Our quote today comes from author Arnold Glassow, who said, The respect of those you respect is worth more than the applause of the multitude. Words to live by here at Radio Parallax. We may not have great multitudes listening, but we respect the fact that you respect us. And that actually does mean quite a lot. And by the way, to really fully show your respect when we have pledge drives at KDVS, KZFR, and other public radio stations, please do your best, won't you? Our quip of the day comes from Vladimir Putin, commenting on how the U.S., a self-styled defender of the Internet, reacted rather hypocritically to the WikiLeaks scandal. Said Putin, Someone else's cow may moo, but yours had better keep quiet. Which is, of course, a Russian proverb that more or less translates into, well, look who's talking. Our joke today comes from Andy Borowitz, as, uh, as reprinted in The Humor Times. Said Mr. Borowitz, Dateline Mogadishu, and yet another public relations setback for the beleaguered cruise ship industry, Somali pirates today said they would no longer board Carnival cruise ships, citing, quote, unsafe working conditions, unquote. We Somali pirates may be bold, but we're not crazy. And speaking of Mr. Borowitz, uh, we have to quote uh, his comment made in the wake of George Bush publishing his uh, 481-page book, Decision Points. Said Andy, the Borowitz report has obtained an advanced copy of former President George W. Bush's memoir. Here are some highlights. The book contains a Where's Waldo fold-out section with WMDs. Bush says his biggest disappointment of his eight years in office was learning there was no Santa Claus. And it notes that Bush commented on the unfinished business of his presidency, saying at one point, I never did learn how that neat story about the goat ended. 
And our stat of the day is that uh, I guess it's Ajaf Jalajokal, the volcano that closed Europe's airspace last year and, by the way, stumped English-speaking newscasters trying to pronounce its name, is now estimated to have emitted between 150,000 and 300,000 tons of carbon dioxide a day. That, however, is less than the grounded flights would have emitted, making it the first known carbon-negative volcano. Bonus statistic from uh, New Scientist magazine is estimated that less than half of Chinese sewage is treated in any way. Keep in mind, that's the sewage of about 600 million people. And from the oddball data file, which I think we'll add to this program on occasion, we have a couple items. And this one's sure to settle some bar bets. Scientists have now concluded that the closest living relative of the beaver are not gophers, as was previously thought. Thanks to a study of their mitochondrial DNA, it's now revealed that the beaver's closest living relative is the scaly-tailed flying squirrel. <laughs> Apparently the two groups diverged from a common ancestor 54 million years ago, or thereabouts. So those who are fond of betting in bars, do take note. Don't be suckered in by that one. And while we await our follow-up story on Alvin Green, the man that uh, the Republicans apparently got to run against Jim DeMint in the South Carolina Senate race, we uh, did not note that uh, a news story from last September had revealed that the Arizona GOP operative Steve May was recruiting homeless people to run for state office on the Green Party ticket, acknowledging that it would siphon votes from Democratic candidates. Technically speaking, Al Sharpton is not a homeless person, but as reported on this program, $20 million of Republican money through operative Roger Stone went into the Sharpton for President campaign. Ah, these oddball items are fun. Let's do a couple more. The tobacco plant, the source of so much evil in the world, has been uh, tweaked by scientists to react to the vapors of TNT by turning white in a few hours. The aim of researchers is to produce plants that would serve as silent sentinels for bombs and explosives. Although the fact that the plants take hours to change color is a bit of a problem. And it's noted that with conventional incandescent light bulbs being scheduled to start being phased out next year, a lot of consumers are apparently hoarding their old favorites. Apparently one in eight Americans intends to stock up on 100-watt bulbs and keep using them after they disappear from stores next January, according to USA Today. Personally, Radio Parallax takes the view that uh, compact fluorescent bulbs, in many occasions, suck. And that opinion, of course, like all those heard on this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California. But uh, I got to say that, you know, incandescent bulbs are not so bad when you have heating needs in a home. Plus, the light that comes off of fluorescent bulbs pretty much stinks. Don't you agree, dear listener? And I realize they're less energy efficient when you're trying to produce light, but if you have a dual need to produce heat in your home during the winter, they're not so bad. Or at least not as bad, eh? By the way, did any of you, uh, when you were young, have an easy-bake oven? Remember those? Remember my sister had one, and she used to bake cupcakes using a light bulb. Anyway, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly.
According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Scorpios. After the Allstate Insurance Company released a study that found that Scorpios had the fewest car accidents last year, while Virgos had the most. Allstate, however, assured customers that astrologic signs have absolutely no role in how we set rates. I guess it was a twofold good week for astrologers uh, in the wake of the fact that uh, last week the Bombay High Court dismissed a case that questioned the validity of astrology and related practices. It said that the Supreme Court of India had already ruled that astrology is a science and had directed universities to consider adding astrology to their syllabuses. And by the way, we'll have a few more comments on astrology before we're done today. Apparently it was a bad week last week for common sense in the wake of a Virginia high school student being suspended and charged with assault for allegedly shooting plastic spitwads at three students. The police in Virginia, who apparently don't have anything better to do, say that Andrew McKell, 14, violated the school's zero-tolerance weapons policy by blowing the spitwads through the hollow body of a pen. Police denied charges that they overreacted, saying, Assault is assault is assault. To which we say, Stupidity is stupidity is stupidity. By the way, it's been our experience that the term zero-tolerance policy and stupidity are often intricately linked. But lest I digress, let me note that it was, a, it was an ugly week last week for Kenneth Cole, the designer who sparked outrage by using the Egyptian Revolution as the basis for a publicity campaign on Twitter. Apparently Mr. Cole tweeted, Millions are in uproar in Cairo. Rumor is they heard about our new spring collection that's now available online. Cole later apologized for his, quote, insensitivity, unquote. Well, as we say, stupidity is stupidity is stupidity. And sometimes that can be pretty insensitive. Apparently it was also a bad week uh, uh, a couple weeks back for George W. Bush's Mission Accomplished. In the wake of the news story that without any fanfare or even acknowledgement, the enormous Marshall statue erected by Saddam Hussein is being restored in Iraq. The work, which is one of the largest public monuments ever built, is known as the Victory Arch. It depicts giant cross swords gripped by hands modeled on Hussein's. Several Iraqi uh, lawmakers expressed uh, dismay to the New York Times in hearing that the Victory Arch, which was partially dismantled in 2007, was being refurbished. Reportedly, others were pleased. Said Kanan Mikayu, an Iraqi-born architect in Massachusetts, I'm glad it is being restored. It is vulgar, but vulgar is an unspeakably horrible, terrible, and therefore unique way. And uh, by the way, if you have any future architectural needs, we would advise you <laughs> not to go with Kanan Makia. Although judging by some of the results, I suspect one of my neighbors may have, uh, may have picked him when he came to do his house remodel. All right, let's return back to the subject of astrology. Ronald Reagan's being talked about on, uh, on HBO and on uh, public television in the wake of the 100th anniversary of his birth. I was watching uh, the one on Valentine's Day on, on KVIE. I was reminded of that time when uh, Michael Deaver left uh, the White House uh, employee in a huff. 
and along the way found himself disgusted with the fact that the president's schedule was being determined by Nancy Reagan's astrologer. And before this month is out, we need to readdress this issue of, of the Ronald Reagan presidency. I know that uh, biographer Lou Cannon is local here in Sacramento, and some years ago he invited me to speak with him about this subject, which I, I'm sorry to say I've not followed up on, but uh, we'll see what we can do about that. But uh, the program showed uh, former Senator Howard Baker becoming Reagan's chief of staff after Don Regan left. And with sort of shocking frankness, described how everyone was worried at this point that Reagan was detached and, and basically out to lunch. In the documentary, they seemed to, in the documentary, they seemed to close ranks and say, no, 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 we, we, we reassured ourselves that Reagan was very sharp and, and with the program. Yet it leaves one with doubts, shall we say. And for many years now, I've had a copy of What Does Jones Say? My Seven Years as White House Astrologer to Nancy and Ronald Reagan by Joan Quigley. We never managed to quote from it yet on the program, but I, I think today's the day. Documentary, by the way, Joan Quigley came out and said, Oh, my goodness, I'm a very scientific astrologer. I have many tools available to me with computers and such that people just didn't have before. To quote from the book, In early 1986, polls showed growing numbers of Americans wanted the defense budget cut. To remind the country of the grand victory days for U.S. military forces, President Reagan visited Grenada on February 20th. I chose the time of 7.55 a.m. for Air Force One to take off. The sun that day was very close to the president's Venus, which signifies his popularity and public standing. The trip was triumphant, with the luckiest planet, Jupiter, on one of the three luckiest planets in Ronald Reagan's chart. There were also very favorable aspects of the moon. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the takeoff time of Air Force One was determined by astrologer Joan Quigley. She also notes, Nancy asked me to select the times and places for the two Reagan-Mondale debates in 1984. I really goofed in my choice for the first debate. It was the only time I failed the Reagans or gave them less than excellent advice. My choice for that debate, instead of emphasizing Mondale's lack of charisma, as I intended, livened him and gave him pizzazz. My choice for the second debate, however, ensured that Ronnie would emerge victorious. You know, the part I, I like about Joan Quigley the most is she chooses at the beginning of the book to quote from the review of Nancy Reagan's My Turn by Donald Regan. Said Don Regan, I was pleased to note that Mrs. Reagan in her book confirmed the accuracy of every important point in my book, for the record. Where we differ in our version of events, it is often, though not always, a matter of interpretation. What she can understand is why I did what I did. That is, why I revealed that the president's schedule, and therefore his life, and the most important business of the American nation, was largely under the control of the First Lady's astrologer. Frankly, I hesitated before putting this astounding fact into the historical record. I certainly did not take this information and twist it to seek revenge. The fact is, I wrote about astrology because it was an essential truth about the way the Reagans operated. My descriptions of White House life in my period as Chief of Staff would have made little sense if I had omitted it. All those schedule changes, when laid out in black and white, would have looked downright senseless in the absence of an explanation. Would that there have been some other explanation. But there wasn't. Astrology was it. It was a daily, sometimes hourly factor in every decision affecting the President's schedule. 
Although using an astrologer never struck Nancy Reagan as particularly strange, she concealed her consultations from her husband, the staff, with the exceptions of Mike Deaver and later Bill Henkel and me, and the Secret Service. What a shock it must have been to the agents who so carefully guarded the president to learn that a total stranger to them knew not only the intimate details of presidential movements, but could actually set the time of those moves. Surely they would think that posed a security risk. In retrospect, I think the nation owes Ms. Quigley a vote of gratitude. She really seems to have been interested in nothing but astrology. Now, uh, don't get me wrong, there are many aspects of Ronald Reagan that uh, this correspondent actually finds admirable. But uh, as for the Reagan White House use of astrology? All right, so many subjects, so little time. Let's, uh, let's take a short break. I'm listening to Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about beer, something you won't want to miss. <laughs> 